Down at the cross Where my Savior died Hallelujah Down where from cleansing from sin I cross to my heart I wish I had a witness was the blood applied come on sing that with me glory to his name oh of my heart be acceptable in your sight oh Lord our strength and our redeemer in the name of Jesus who is the Christ amen open your Bibles with me to the gospel of John at chapter number 12 verses 1 through verse number 11 
We are still on the road to resurrection through persecution and pardon, through this matter of probation and prodigality. This morning's word is perfume. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pennyworth and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Thank you. You may have your seats. The grass withers and the flower thereof fadeth away, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Chapter 12 of the Gospel of John marks the transition between the book of signs in chapters 1 through chapter 11, which focus on Jesus' public ministry, and the book, the book of glory in chapters 13 through 21, which narrates his passion and his resurrection. The evangelist John's insistence that Jesus was not a tragic victim, but was in full control of the events surrounding his passion is a crucial part of the gospel message. For it places the emphasis squarely on God's sovereignty and on his unfailing plan of the ages, culminating in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. It is not as if in a dark hour evil took control and Jesus had to succumb to it. Rather, he chose to die freely 
for your sake and mine. The anointing of Jesus takes place on the eve of Palm Sunday in the pleasant home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And as Jesus enjoys the company of his friends before going out to the encounter with the cruelty of his foes, Lazarus, who was, now is, in a home surrounded by family and friends and not surrounded by death and decomposition. What began as a repast becomes a banquet. A funeral banquet in preparation for the absence of Jesus has been transformed into a celebratory dinner in his presence. In this pericope, brothers and sisters, the resurrection and the life is given what is due him. An extravagant and honorific anointing that befits both a king and a corpse. Jesus is worthy enough to be prepared for death on a cross and loving enough to be extravagantly anointed as a king on the throne. Our text this morning tells us about a woman named Mary. We are told that she gave a gift to Jesus that some thought was overboard, excessive, over the top, simply too much, and exaggeratedly extravagant. This morning, let us zoom the camera in and through the video conference of this pericope, learn what Mary has to teach us about what our worship to Jesus Christ ought to look like. I want you to look with me this morning in the text at the expense of worship. Anointing usually means two things. It sets a person apart as holy and consecrated, and it confers authority upon the person who is being anointed. So holiness and authority that reside in the ritual anointing are considered to be conferred by God though mediated through a person acting on God's behalf. And usually it is a man doing the anointing. But now there's a woman named Mary doing the anointing. Four people are usually anointed in scriptures. A prophet, a priest, a king, or the dead. Mary's actions are highly symbolic and therefore requires a detailed analysis. This was no ordinary generic perfume that you might find on Harwin Street here in Houston. 
This is not taboo or uh, old spice or uh, brute that y'all give us for Christmas. No, no. It was of the highest quality and normally possessed by only the well-to-do in the Mediterranean world. She did, she did not just bring a perfume of the highest quality, but she also brought a large amount. The Bible says it was a pound of the most expensive perfume. Not a dab behind your ear, but a pound of it. And brothers and sisters, she also brought a large amount that was ridiculously lavish in proportion, a fine, expensive, lavish perfume, all of that for one person. But it is not just the quality of the perfume. It's not just the amount of the perfume, but how she honors him with it that's most significant. An anointing would almost always involve the person's head, which was the most honorable part of the body. But to anoint a person's feet was unparalleled and an act of extreme extravagance. Because every time we meet Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. I wish I had a Bible reader here. The first time we meet Mary, he's at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and he's teaching in the living room, and Martha is in the kitchen stirring around and cooking, and Mary is at the feet of Jesus, and Martha says, tell her to come in here and help me. The first time we meet Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus learning. But the second time we meet Mary is in the preceding chapter 11 when Lazarus is dead and Jesus delays coming to Bethany and when he finally gets there four days later, Lazarus is dead, Martha comes out and says to him, I know that you can raise him from the dead. Jesus said, you're going to see your brother again. Martha said, I know I'm going to see him in the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then Mary comes out to meet Jesus and Mary, not like Martha standing with her hands on her hips, Mary kneels at the feet of Jesus leaning. But the third time we meet Mary, she's not at his feet learning. She's not at his feet leaning. She's at his feet loving. And she breaks open an expensive bottle of priceless perfume and does not dab it on him, but she pours it on him in an extravagant expression of wild praise. Now let me see if I can help us this morning. The, many, the reason many of us can't worship as we should is because our worship is just a dab.
That's enough. It don't take all of that. I wish I had help to preach it. But those of us who really come to worship, don't just dab our praise on Jesus. We don't just dab Jesus with our worship. We pour out, we break our box and pour out our praise. And if you're looking at me because of the way I praise, you don't know the cost of this oil in my alabaster box. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what happened in my life. You don't know what doors God has opened for me. And when God has made a way for you, pour out your praise. Fill my cup so I can empty it out. And then fill my cup so I can empty it out. This, 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 this extravagance is lavished on Jesus' feet. But get this. Rather than using a towel, Mary uses her own hair shaken loose as a sign of her deep and intimate affection for Jesus. Let me, let me, let me put a comma here and help somebody to get this. Real worship is letting your hair down. You let your hair down at the club. You let your hair down at the New Year's Eve party. You let your hair down at somebody's birthday party and you come to church and you all sophisticated. God's been good to me. I said God's been good to me. And worship for me is a letting your hair down situation. Somebody here who's had a door open ought to let your hair down. Somebody here who's had a way made ought to let your hair down. Somebody who's had a prayer answered or to let your hair down. And if you ain't got no hair, shake your weave. If you ain't got a weave, shake your wig. If your head is bald, shake your hands. God has been good to me and I came here to let my hair down. Let everything that has breath Hey, hey, let the redeemed of the Lord 
say so. Uh, uh, for a woman, for a woman to let her hair down publicly was a sign that she was a loose woman. It was scandalous for a woman to loosen her hair publicly. But Mary is thankful for Lazarus. Jesus just raised her brother from the dead. And then the synoptic gospel says that she was a sinful woman. She's got some skeletons in her closet and Jesus just shut the door on her. She's got some decisions she wished she hadn't made, some roads she wished she had never traveled. Jesus just didn't even bring it up and she comes and she kneels down at his feet because when you've been blessed like that, you don't care what no Negro say about you in church. I woke up this morning with my mind. Have I got a witness here? I came here to holler on purpose. My shout is not by accident. Let me, let me. Uh, Mary. Mary was addressing Jesus not as a man but as a king. The one to whom the only appropriate posture was kneeling face down at his feet anointing him with luxurious and sweet smelling perfume and using her own hair to express how much her whole person was involved in the act of anointing. Listen to me. Because she knew her hands were not soft enough to touch it. So she needed to use the softest part of her body. Her hair. Opening herself to humiliation to honor Jesus. She humiliated herself to worship her Lord. Because the difference between praise and worship is praise is shouting over what God has done. But worship is shouting over who God is. And even if he doesn't do anything, I can shout over what he's already done. If he never answers another prayer, he's still a prayer answering God. If he never raises up another, another sick person, he's still a doctor in a sick room. If he never pays another bill, the cattle on a thousand hills still belong to him. If he doesn't let me get out of this church, I'm a praiser when I get to heaven. Hear me, brothers and sisters. 
Here's the whole reason why I'm trying to preach this little sermon. When the vessel of your life, when the vessel of your life is broken, and the worship of your life is poured out at his feet, the scent of your love for him will permeate your life with the sweet fragrance of heaven that everywhere you go, somebody knows you've been hanging around Jesus. I've told you about a lady at my church at home who sleeps the long sleep. Miss Katie Hill. Miss Katie was 99 years old. Beautiful black skin. Miss Katie, even at her age, my birthday is in June. Miss Katie, every June 27th, would walk from her house two miles to my house to bring me a birthday gift. I said, Miss Katie, you don't have to do that. It's, it's too hot for you to be walking out there. Call me and I'll come pick it up. She said, if I want you to come pick it up, I'd have called you. <laughs> Old folk just say whatever come in their mind. Uh, she said, I love you and I want to come and bring it to you. I said, well, at least let me bring you home. She said, if I want you to bring me home, I'd have asked you. I said, thank you so much, Miss Katie. I, I really appreciate that. But every Sunday morning, it was my habit at True Light Church. I don't do it here because there's too many of y'all. But at True Light Church, it was my habit to go to the front of the church at benediction and shake everybody's hand who wanted to shake my hand walking out of the church and close the two doors so you had to come right in front of me. Miss Katie would come and kiss me every Sunday on my lips. I would try to turn my cheek and she would turn her face the other way. Because she wanted to kiss me on my lips. She said, oh, you're a pretty black man. She said, if I was 50 years younger, I'd get these girls to run for their money around this church. But Miss Katie had a daughter named Helen who worked at the hospital. And some weekends, Miss Helen had to work. And the weekends Miss Helen worked, Miss Katie dressed herself. She put on every necklace she had, a ring on every finger, and bathed herself in Estee Lauder perfume. I knew when Miss Helen had to work because you could smell Miss Katie coming down the street. And so Miss Katie came to church and I tried to turn my face and she turned around and kissed me on my lips and I got back home and my wife at the time was working as a physical therapist who was at work and didn't come to church that Sunday and when I got in the house near her she said you've been kissing Miss Katie ain't you? I said how you know? She said you smell like Katie here. Can I help somebody right here? When you've been with Jesus when people meet you they say, you've been hanging around that church, ain't you? You've been praying, ain't you? You know, the reason why you can love your enemies, because you've been hanging around Jesus. The reason you can pray for those who despitefully use you, because you've been hanging around Jesus, ain't you? 
You can tell folk who come to church, but they don't know Christ because they got a funky attitude. They got a nasty disposition. They have ugly ways. But if you've been with Christ, you don't care who's looking at you. I wish I had a witness here. You don't care what nobody says about you. You came to give God your honest hallelujah. Um, that's the, the expense of a worship. But look with me at the expression of worship. She's in the room full of all these men. And another gospel account says she's in the home of Simon, the church member. And they look at that and they say, now, this is a waste. This, this is too much. This, this is going out of bounds. This is overboard. And don't think people ain't thinking that when you start cutting up and shouting in church. Or the first thing coming to their mind is, I wonder what's going on. Mm -hmm, I bet they're having trouble. No. God's been good to me. I, I ain't mad with nobody. I came to shout. I, I didn't have no fight. I came to give God the glory. Ain't nothing wrong with me. Stop fanning me. Stop trying to pull me down. Stop wondering what's going on in my life. You want to know? Ask me. God has opened a door for me. God has put down an enemy for me. That's why I praise him so much. That's why I shout so loud. But now, but now, but now, the room is filled with the fragrance. And Judas, John the Evangelist, uh, uses one verse to talk about what Mary did, and three verses to talk about Judas' response. Judas offered a commentary on the activities that distort their substance and their truth with reasoned pretentiousness. He asks a question that directly rebukes Mary while indirectly rebuking Jesus. His query focuses only on the economic significance of the act. His, his looking at what Mary did has something to do with the value of the perfume for financial reasons. And the act of anointing Jesus in Judah's mind and in the minds of people like Judas is that putting all of this on Jesus is superfluous and extravagant. For Mary, the perfume was to be measured by the price of its expression. 
For Judas, the perfume was to be measured by the price of its extortion. Jesus' statement after Judas said that, Jesus said, leave her alone. She's anointed my body for the burying. You talking about this perfume could have been sold and given to the poor. The poor you'll have with you always. Now, now listen to me, brothers and sisters. Uh, Jesus is not denigrating the poor. Jesus is not absenting the poor from the discussion. This, this, this purpose of Mary pouring his oil on Jesus, his statement does not deny the poor their place, but he clearly moves the poor to their secondary position in his presence. Because our primary reason for worshiping God is who Jesus is. And listen to me. Jesus quotes scripture in Deuteronomy 15, 11 that says there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in the land. I hear you. I hear many people say, uh, I don't tithe, but uh, I give to the poor. I'm not a tither, but, but, but I help people in need. That's, that's the same thing as tithing. Or I may not give as much as you give or what somebody else gives, but, but I help those who are needy. I'm always reaching out to help somebody who's needed. And that's what you ought to do. But your giving ought not be based on philanthropy, which is love of mankind. Your giving ought to be based on theophilia, which is love for God. Here it is. We give, this is the best line in this sermon. We give to the poor because they need it. We give to God because we need it. Somebody ought to help me preach it. We give to the poor because they are in need. But we give to God because we are in need. Augustine of Hippo, Bishop of Carthage in North Africa, said that the only, only that which can be loved for its own sake should be the object of our devotion. Thusly, Christian concern for the poor must always be couched in your love for Christ first. Because if you seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness, all these other things will be added unto you. Now, I've kept us here long enough. I'm through. But we've seen her expression of worship. We've seen the expensive worship. And I want you to see now how worship can be enlarged. The Bible says she pours out that expensive bottle of perfume all down Jesus' feet, shakes her hair loose, and dries his feet with her hair because her hands are not soft enough to touch him. And the fragrance of that oil can be smelled not only in the house, but all outside the house. But that's not the shop. 
The shout is they came to a banquet that was thrown in Jesus' honor. But Jesus was not only the special guest. Somebody else was at the banquet. Somebody who had just come out of the grave. In chapter 11, Lazarus was so dead that when Jesus got to the tomb, Mary and Martha said, he's stinking now. Somebody ought to help me preach it. Jesus said, show me where you're buried. He goes to the grave of Lazarus and they rolled a stone away. You're going to help me close this, won't you? And Jesus stands at the mouth of Lazarus' grave and says, Lazarus, come forth. I wish I had somebody to help me preach. If Jesus had just said, come forth, Adam would have got up. Moses would have gotten up. Elijah would have gotten up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have gotten up. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would have gotten up. Sarah and Rebekah would have gotten up. Job and Solomon would have gotten up. Elijah and Ezekiel and Daniel, Hosea and Amos, Habakkuk and Zephaniah, Zechariah, Obadiah, Malachi, even John the Baptist would have got up. But he said to come forth, Lazarus, because he called him by his name. And the Bible says when Lazarus came out of the grave, he still had on his grave clothes. Jesus said, lose him and let him go. And brothers and sisters, when the Lord found me and when he found you, you still had your club clothes on. You still had your grave clothes on. You still had the clothes of your old life on. Jesus said, lose him, lose her, and let them go. And you're in this church this morning because one day you were stinking. But when Jesus raised you from the dead, you have a sweet aroma now. You have a sweet testimony now. You have a sweet shout right now because they came to the banquet not just to see Jesus but to see Lazarus who he raised from the dead. And every time people come to church, all they ought to ever see is two things. One who can save sinners and that's a man named Jesus. And a sinner that's been saved and that's you and I. Is there anybody here? No, God took the grave clothes off. If you're not ashamed this morning to let somebody know God saved you. If you're not embarrassed this morning to give God your best hallelujah. If God's opened the door for you and you don't mind being a testimony because that's what Lazarus was, you know. He was a real testimony. That's why verses 10 and verse 11 says they wanted to kill Lazarus also because he was a living testimony. 
That's why folk try to get rid of you because you are a living testimony. That's why they try to pull you down because you are a living testimony. That's why they try to destroy your character because you are a living testimony. But keep on praising God. Keep on raising your hand. Keep on shouting hallelujah. They can't stop you because God's got his arms around you. They can't prevent your shout because God's been good to you. Is there anybody here don't mind being a witness this morning? I know we're out of time right now, but is there anybody here know God's been good to you? Is there anybody in the sound of my voice who got your own testimony this morning? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see through many dangers, through many dangers, toils and snails, I've already come. I wish I had a witness way in the back. It was the Lord who brought me this far. Is there anybody here? No, it was nobody but Jesus. Why don't you look at somebody? Tell them it was nobody. 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 Nobody can love me like Jesus. Nobody can rock me like Jesus. Nobody can heal me like Jesus. Nobody. Nobody. I know he's all